0: Hey everybody, how you doing? And welcome to another episode of the John Riley Project and man, hope you're having a great day out there. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for watching on YouTube, listening on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and Stitcher. If you could do me a favor before we start, this would be really helpful. Just go ahead and subscribe. Click on that subscribe button right below YouTube, or maybe even subscribe right there on Apple Podcasts. You'll get updates on all of our new episodes. We've got some fun things to get into. We're going to talk today about capitalism. We're going to talk about carne asada burritos and $1 upcharges during this COVID crisis. And we have a fun story to tell hello um, but, you know i, I haven 't really done a podcast in a while it 's been a little over a week and I, I guess maybe i 've had a little bit of writer's block um, you know you kind of go through these little phases um, but i 'm just really happy to be be here today with you to to share some ideas and thoughts you know over the weekend it was tony Gwynn's sixtieth birthday um, or it would have been his sixtieth birthday you know local Poway guy here um, so always great to commemorate a local hero There's a really good article in The Union Tribune talking about about 60 stories um, about Tony Gwynn, and I thought it was really well done. I I probably should do a podcast episode just on that, but all about how he played basketball um, as a young man and obviously set a lot of great records at San Diego State University. He wanted to be recruited at Cal State Fullerton and they turned him down because they wouldn't let him play basketball and um, you know the the head coach there said it was the biggest recruiting mistake he ever made but little things like how he met his wife in high school well, as a young child and would follow her around or rode his bike I guess like six, seven miles to watch her at a track meet ended up having his bicycle stolen, got a ride back on the bus with the track team. And that's how his relationship with his wife, Alicia got started. So just some really neat stories about Tony Gwynn, man, the more you hear about that guy, the more you realize how special of a man he is. I mean, we're really blessed to not only have him as a member of the San Diego Padres, but to be a local guy here in Poway. I remember one time I was, um, down at the Rubio's on Poway road. Um, and I remember I was in there and, uh, ordering and I'm waiting for my order. And I look to my left and there's Tony Gwynn waiting for his order. And I did like a double take and I just smiled. And then he just sort of gave me a head nod, you know, and I didn't want to like, you know, go and ask him, Hey, Tony, Mr. Gwynn, how you doing? I didn't do any of that because I'm sure he gets that all the time, you know, but he also probably gets people like me doing double takes. But it was, that was my actually my only encounter with Tony Gwynn, but um, I was just really happy. To see that article, and if you get a chance to read it, go on the San diego dot com in the sports section. I think it was in the Sunday edition, but it's a wonderful article about um, our local Pau-Egin. Um And speaking of him, I've been watching you know sports, and you know we had the uh, National League Championship Series from nineteen eighty four that was on television on the MLB Network. So I got to relive um, those moments in Game Four and Game Five, and this was when Tony Gwynn was in his second year, had won his first National League batting championship. And that was a lot of fun. And I remember 1984, I remember I was in college at the time. And I remember it was like a Saturday night and we were setting up for some big party. And that was the night that um, that Steve Garvey hit that walk-off home run in game four. And I remember in the neighborhood where we were setting up for a party. It was like this huge shriek of excitement um, when he hit that home run. So it was fun to relive that game because I didn't watch all of it because, you know, I was distracted doing some other work. But um, what a special time. And then you see players like Tony Gwynn, who's no longer with us. Alan Wiggins, another Poway guy, no longer with us. Um, I watched some of the 1998 playoffs, and there you got to see Ken Caminiti who is no longer with us. So we've lost a lot of special people here in San Diego sports. Um, and, you know, I know we're in this COVID lockdown. I mean, gosh, we got to be into our sec- – we're nearing the completion of our second month, right? I, you kind of lose track of time. But um, the the series I just recently watched on uh, Netflix, if you got a chance to see it, it's – its uh, mid- okay, how do you say it? Medeci and it's it's about the these bankers in Florence, Italy. And you know, all of their relationships with their locals in Florence, the alliances they set up with Milan and with Venice, um their ongoing battles or cooperation with the pope and the papal states. It's just awesome movie, uh, or actually a series. It's three seasons long. And I just really, really enjoyed it. You know, Florence, of course, the birthplace of so much wonderful art. And uh, Medici, you know, was the funder of that, the financer of people like um, Botticelli and Michelangelo and Leonardo da Vinci. They were all there flourishing in that um, arena. Really a neat story. And um You know, this is obviously pre-capitalism. We're going to get into capitalism. I guess that's probably more feudalism um, back in that day. But, um, you know, I had a chance to go to Florence a couple of years ago. Uh, My daughter had studied there for one summer, and then I went back and and visited her. And we only spent a day in Florence. You know, we were on a kind of a whirlwind European trip. But what a special city. So I hope to go back sometime. Uh, But I I can't recommend that series enough. Medici um, on Netflix. If you love historical period pieces. If you love, um, you know, slightly fictionalized versions of actual history, you're going to love that. If you love um, politics and religion and um, family and economy, all kind of blending and mixing, which is what really my podcast, we get into a lot of these topics. That's why I loved it. So I, I can't recommend it enough. Okay, so um, let's get into this whole capitalism and, and what I'm joking about this uh, this COVID one dollar burrito upcharge and this is a real deal it is is it happened over the weekend and in one of our local Poway Facebook groups um, someone had posted this had started this controversy with um, Armando's Taco Shop in Poway and and they said we bought two burritos yesterday through the drive through and then noticed that they charged us an extra dollar for a COVID-19 for every item. And unfortunately, we were on the road already, didn't have a chance to ask. There were no drive-through signs saying anything about these extra charges. Beware. And so you can imagine the the reaction from the community here. And, you know, there are some people are saying outrage, this is outrageous. They're charging us an extra dollar for this carne asada burrito. And people are saying it's a scam. It's deceptive advertising. And, you know, the other people are saying, well, hell, it's, it's COVID, right? I mean, COVID has had an impact on the supply chain for food. Beef has become scarce. Well, of course, prices are going to rise. That's Econ 101. Um, But then it really kind of gets to sort of the core of capitalism, the morality of capitalism. And that's really where I want to focus on this podcast is to talk about the moralness of a free trade, of capitalism, and some of the disconnect that we see in our communities. And this Armando's Taco Shop COVID-19 $1 upgrade is just such a great example of this um, because people are judging this $1 upgrade based on their own sort of view of morality, how they perceive right versus wrong, and particularly in their community. And, you know, I, I saw it, I, I, my initial reaction to it was eh, kind of in poor taste, right? You know, I get it that they had to raise their prices, but when you kind of call it out, because you know, I, I remember going to certain restaurants, and I remember looking at the bills sometimes, and there was this extra labor fee. I don't know if you've ever seen that at some restaurants. And I remember asking, um, my, my, um, my waiter, like, what is this? And, and he or she said, it's an upgrade because of the minimum, the minimum wage, um, you know, was just raised. And, and I'm thinking, well, okay, you're, you're still kind of being a little bit, how should I say, feathers ruffled and trying to make a big issue out of this kind of calling unneeded attention to it. Um, so, I, I, I saw this in a similar light. Other people said, Oh, no, it's just temporary. So, if it's temporary, maybe it makes sense to have it as a standalone charge. And in fact, that's what um, the owner responded in the thread. And I give them great credit from Armando's Taco Shop in Poway. They said, Yeah, you know we, we have a hard time getting uh, beef. Our prices have gone up. We're reflecting that in a $1 up charge, and it is only temporary. It will go away once the supply chain for food is restored. So again, you get to this and you start thinking, okay, really all this outrage, this shrieking, this um, it's a scam, it's deceptive. and, And by the way, they did have a sign the guy that went through the drive-through didn't see it, but it was clearly there. Um, But still, some people are saying it's a scam and and it's just these self-interested capitalists trying to take advantage of us. And it's this projection of morality on capitalism. And it's just interesting. I mean, and this really goes to this whole capitalism versus socialism battle. You know, which is better? Which is more moral? You know, And, and you hear a lot of the common talking points. Well, Capitalism for the you know for um, the rich and 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 it's socialism for the losses of the rich and you say you see people say capitalism keeps the poor down other people say capitalism allows the poor to rise up and and so I want to kind of get into some of this I mean the one thing that I think we know and and we're gonna we can look at it economically. We can look at it morally. There's a lot of different ways to to go at this, but from a purely economic perce- perception, I mean, we've seen this play out in history. I mean, it, capitalism um, or some degree of capitalism, wherever it's been tried, it's been tried with different groups of people, different geographies. It's been handled. Um, it's been put uh, in place over many decades with different groups, different cultures and we always get the same results economically and it's to the extent that you practice capitalism which i'm going to say is a lot is about private private property it's about free trade when you practice capitalism you get a more prosperous and more happy populace as a result to the greater degree that you practice that capitalism but the, to the extent that you practice the opposite, the, to the extent that you practice socialism, well, you you get you get you know death, despair. I mean, and we can go down the list of all the different nations. So, I think let, let, again, let's first define terms. So, when, like I said, when I think of capitalism, what I'm talking about is. Um, private ownership. Okay, so that doesn't mean bailouts for the rich. That doesn't mean subsidies for corporations. Private property is about people trading with one another in a free trade environment without regulations that rig markets and rig systems, without Trump tariffs, you know, without um, uh, no bid contracts the government puts forward, without All of these regulations that thwart and slow people down and prevent the economy from progressing. To me, that's capitalism, private property, rule of law, free trade. Socialism, on the other hand, there's really two views of it. I mean, depending on the definition. On one level, it's redistribution. It's wealth being taxed and redistributed in a variety of welfare programs and other social services from the government. And we see a lot of that within, you know, so-called democratic socialism. We, we see that to a great degree here in America. Because in America, of course, we're not capitalist. We're not socialist. We are a mixed economy. We are a blend of both. Um, and that's always the battles. What's the ratio? What's the right blend? Um, but socialism, really two definitions. One is the redistributive aspect to it. The second part of it is, is that the state or the people own the means of production. So in a socialist economy, a true socialist economy, you know, you're going to see nationalization of industries, nationalization of companies being taken over by the government. And in fact, we've seen some of that in America um, where, you know, Fannie, Fannie, Danny May and Freddie Mac, I always get those kind of mixed up. Um, those have been effectively nationalized. In the TARP program, when the, we came out of the last recession, the United States government bought shares into big auto companies. Um, so we've seen some of this. And we're seeing, of course, out more and more outcries. We're, we're seeing outcries for the nationalization of the healthcare insurance industry, which, of course, is a form of socialism. So, you know again where you're seeing where we've seen capitalism to the extent that it is applied we see great upside not just for rich people but for the ordinary person for the ordinary man and so like let's look at some some evidence and let's roll the clock back um you know it's 2020 so wow we're we're like actually in 20 2026 will be the 250th anniversary of the United States, the 250th anniversary of the signing of the Declaration of Independence, uh, of our inalienable rights of life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. So this is actually a pretty big milestone, Uh, just a bit of a tangent. I remember in 1776, as a kid, that was a really big deal, the 200th birthday of our nation. And remember those bicentennial quarters? And it was kind of a fun time. Uh, But we're approaching this. 250 year anniversary in just six years. But I bring that up in context before the United States of America existed. Capitalism pretty much did not exist. Um, you know, it was prior to 1776. I mean, what percentage of the world was poor? And I mean, poor. I mean, they they, they certainly were living, quote unquote, paycheck to paycheck, to use today's terminology. But really They were living, you know, they were scrounging to just earn enough money to eat. They were living on farms. They were literally grinding through life, a lot like what I saw the people in Medici and how they lived. I mean, back then, 250 plus years ago, you can go back in history to the You know, to the time of Medici, which is in the late 1400s, um, or you can go back, you know, into the Middle Ages or even in to the Roman um, era. Most people live poor and most people, I would say 98 percent of the people have been poor. For the longest time, and it was only that one or two percent of aristocracy um, that actually lived wealthy because they were either royalty or they were connected to royalty or they were the lords in the world of feudalism, or there were people like Medici that were bankers, but they were the, the, the exception. And you talk about wealth inequality. I mean, it was dramatic historically. Um, and so if you... I mean, I, I actually just to reflect, just looking at my notes here to reflect on Medici back in that time frame, there was like little economic growth. I mean, there was trade amongst the city states, but the average ordinary person, they were just happy that they could earn a living, that they had a business model that would allow them to feed their family, but they were never stockpiling, um, you know, savings. They weren't building for the future. They were just building to survive. Um, and, and definitely it was feudalism because they paid taxes and they talk about this in Medici, the, the people would pay taxes and by and large, those taxes were used to fund the military to keep their city state safe. You know, so they were protected within the walls of that state, but that was before capitalism. And so again, 98% of the people lived a very, very poor life. Um, and then America was founded in 1776, and that was a remarkable breakthrough because at that time, this was when we embraced individual freedom, our inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. In America, we were no longer the subject of a king. Um, We were now sovereign as individuals, and we could then go about and trade. And the other thing that, of course, had happened in 1776 was the book Wealth of Nations from Adam Smith. Uh, That came out, which also sort of set the stage, the, the economic and philosophical principles of what makes capitalism work. And then as America grew up and as we moved into the 19th century, we saw a skyrocketing of GDP growth. I mean, before America, again, there was very little wealth mobility. The only time people got rich were often be when they stole from someone else, when an army went and, and conquered a city, and then they looted the city and confiscated all the booty and brought it back. And that's how wealth was transferred to a large degree before capitalism. But once capitalism was recreated in the 1900s, excuse me, in the 19th century, People could actually, I'll use air quotes, make money. They could actually create wealth, which was a huge breakthrough because of the principles of capitalism, because of the principles of free trade, individual liberty, property rights and rule of law, which is really the framework that capitalism is built upon. So we saw coming out of the 19th century wealth in nations that embrace these principles, nations like the United States. The United Kingdom, most of Western Europe, their GDP per capita skyrocketed. Um, their and when I, I'm using it as per capita to showcase that for the ordinary man, the ordinary woman, the ordinary family, their standard of living went up. Um, they suddenly had greater access to businesses that could employ them, that could create more opportunity to earn a larger income. At the same time, because of capitalism, there was a wide supply of new goods and new services that came onto the market that made their life better. Railroads, automobiles, Airplanes, Telegraph, I mean, we can go down the list. If Thomas Edison, lighting, uh, maybe I should reference Tesla for that. But still, that was a time of great innovation because people were freed up. And during that freeing process, they, they went out and used their mind to create these incredible innovations that improved our life. And then also the beauty of capitalism is because of the manufacturing system, because of competition, prices kept going down in many cases, or at least they were they were capped to a degree through the competitive uh, marketplace, and so we saw huge upside in those economies. And so it, it, it's interesting because you, you even look at other parts of the world. We can look at China right now. China just roll the clock back. You know, after when was it during World War II and um you know the the there was the the revolution in china and then they what what did they call it the um during the 50s and 60s there was a time and I, was it the great um, upward, I, I can't think of the term, but it was a time when the dictator, was it, was it Mao? I think it was Mao, um, put together these policies to, to really bring China forward. But what ended up happening is in China, they went into despair, into poverty, some of the most fertile land on the planet, and people were starving. And it wasn't until they began to embrace some capitalism, some free trade, that we saw China open up. And you know, President Nixon in 1968 helped do that with China, helped bring them into the world economy. And then little by little, you've seen China just take off. And as a result, we've seen 3 billion, with a B, 3 billion people. Excuse me, I'm getting my numbers mixed up. <laughs> Over the last 30 years, we've seen 1 billion people, pardon me, 1 billion people come out of abject poverty. Because China embraced to a degree some of these principles of free trade, of um, capitalism, of rule of law. Now, granted, they don't obviously embrace it anywhere near to the degree that America does or the degree that really you would hope they would. Um, frankly, America doesn't embrace those ideals to my satisfaction, um, but to the degree that they've embraced it, the more that they have prospered. I mean, even look at um, at at North and South Korea. Um, prior to the Korean War, I mean, both North and South Korea were pretty poor and pretty you know, low performing economies. And then what happened? Um, the Northern, uh, North Korea, obviously communist rule, dictatorship. Um, South Korea opened up their economy, free markets, capitalism. And what did we see? A skyrocketing of wealth generation and, an, and a rise in the standard of living of the ordinary person. The nation that embraced socialism in North Korea, you see people starving people on farms barely able to sustain a life whereas in Seoul in South Korea you see this tremendous creation of wealth not just for the rich but for the middle class a growing middle class and even the people at the bottom are rising up because of this so you know again it people well look at this this crazy burrito one dollar upgrade and they they get angry. They're like, oh, those capitalists and you know they're 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 raising their prices and taking advantage of the little guy. But capitalism, if you look at it through the proper lens, is an extraordinarily moral system because it protects people. It protects people's rights so they can freely trade, so they can voluntarily cooperate. But economically, I guess this is really where I am on this presentation economically the results are clear. the results you know the game is over it, it we know the result economically, the nations that embrace capitalism, free trade, rule of law um property rights are to the extent they do the, that's they're going to see a, a more and more upswing in the quality of life of the average person um but yeah north Korea South Korea I mean like the greatest example is you look at the satellite map. Of the Korean Peninsula in the evening, South Korea is lit up. North Korea is dark and If that doesn 't tell you the story of how capitalism has outperformed socialism at every turn, I mean what what else can you see um, let 's look at look at Ireland as an example um, Ireland as a nation. Um, which, by the way, I'm researching my history and my ancestors are from Ireland. I really want to make a trip there very soon. Uh, I need to plan it and get organized. I'm really – it's a big life goal for me to visit Ireland. But if you look at all the nations in Europe that um, – you know, and all of them are, are mixed economies. Um, you know, the, some of them employ what we'll call um, – democratic socialism, some of them, other forms, other ratios, other mixtures of capitalism and socialism. But Ireland has been the nation that has most aggressively cut taxes. Ireland as a nation has been the one that has most aggressively embraced free trade, embraced property rights, embraced rule of law, and then look at the GDP per capita. Not counting Little Luxembourg, which is almost an exception, Ireland, number one in Europe in terms of GDP per capita. Um, And that's huge. I mean, we're seeing a lot of companies that have been moving to Dublin, software companies that are moving out of other areas of Europe, moving to tax havens in Ireland. And there we're seeing tremendous generation of wealth, not just for the rich, but for the middle class and even the people at the bottom rising up. And I think it's tremendous. Um, another great example uh, is in South America. Um, look at Venezuela and Chile. So if you were to look back in time, um, you know, let's just say in the, ni- I think around the 1960s, 1970s, this is at the time Venezuela, by far the, the richest nation in South America, sitting on oil reserves um, that some would argue are larger than what exists in Saudi Arabia. Tremendous wealth opportunity in that nation. Um, They were, at one time, the wealthiest nation, you know, GDP per capita in South America. And Chile was near the bottom. And then two things happened. Venezuela embraced socialism. They nationalized the oil companies. They nationalized other parts of their economy. They implemented tremendous wealth redistribution. Now, Venezuela is... It is is the poorest or close to the poorest nation in South America. I mean, it's gotten so bad. People are leaving the nation. People are having to eat their pets in Venezuela. It's so bad. Where Chile, on the other hand, and Chile is certainly no um, perfect model, but to the degree that they have implemented free trade, capitalism, property rights, and rule of law, they have seen greater and greater degrees of upswing. In the, um, in, in, the, in the benefit to the ordinary man. And there in Chile, the GDP per capita has risen dramatically. Chile has gone from the bottom to the top. Venezuela has gone from the top to the bottom. Venezuela embraced socialism. Chile embraced capitalism. So it, it's interesting because wherever we go, we see the results where capitalism is embraced. We see prosperity, not just for the rich, but for the middle class and even for the poor, where we see socialism practiced, particularly socialism, where the, the, the nation has, you know, say essentially taken over the means of production, where the nation has taken over, um, like nationalizing health systems and, and oil and all these other industries. That's where we're seeing that to the degree that they embrace that nationalization, a lower and lower quality of life. Um, but the, there is a dichotomy that exists here, that a challenge, and this is what people kind of can't get their head wrapped around, is that the morality, capitalism is about self-interest. And people have trouble with that. People see self-interest as immoral. And even though the economic results are very clear, people still struggle embracing capitalism. People still have an internal problem because of this disconnect of what they perceive to be moral versus immoral. And it's very interesting. So let's look at for a minute, about the marketplace. So when we go out into the economy and we go out to buy or to sell, what are we doing? When we go out to go shopping um, for like when I went out and bought this microphone that I'm using for my podcast, this Rode, uh, I think it was a Rode, was it a Procaster or a Podcaster? I can't remember the brand or the model of it. Great microphone, by the way. Um, when I went out and bought this, why did I buy it? Did I buy it to help the economy? Was that my goal? Was my goal to help road and help the manufacturer generate income? Was my goal to put money in the pockets of the people on the manufacturing line that built this microphone? No, my objective in buying this microphone was entirely for my own self-interest. I wanted a high quality microphone so I can create a high quality podcast for my listeners, for you. And I did this to help me, to help me grow this podcast. I wanted a high quality microphone. And the people at Rode, why did they create this microphone? Did they create it? Because they were interested in making sure that the John Riley Project podcast was the greatest podcast on planet Earth. No, they weren't interested in that. They built this pot this this microphone because it helped serve their needs. It served their interests. So again, we behave in a way that We are self-interested, but we never want to admit it because we think it's immoral or a lot of people think it's immoral. Um, And it's, it's amazing. Like this microphone, I'm trying to remember how much I paid for it. I think it was like $250. Well, how much is this microphone worth to Rode, the company that made the microphone? Well, obviously it's worth less than $250, right? Because... They are making a profit when they sell it to me. But how much is this microphone worth to me? Well, it's worth a lot. It's worth a lot more than $250. It's worth thousands of dollars to me because I want a a microphone that's going to help me create the best possible podcast and have the highest quality recording that I can share with you in this podcast. So to me, this microphone is worth way more than $250. I mean, if this microphone was only worth 250 and, and in my, based on my perception and that's what it costs, I probably wouldn't have bought it, but it means a lot more to me. I mean, the great example is with, you know, with smartphones. Um, my, I, have, I have a Samsung, what is that? A Samsung Note 8. It's actually kind of an old phone. But I remember I got that. It was like about $800 and that's a lot of money for a phone. And when Samsung made that, was it worth 800 to them? No, no, it was worth far less than 800 to them. They were manufacturing it for far less. They sell it to me at a profit. But was that Samsung Note 8 phone worth more than $800 to me? Of course. I mean, with that, with that phone, I can listen to any podcast, um, you know, out in the market. I can access information. I can get maps and get direction. I can listen to music and watch videos. I can surf the internet. I can look for jobs. I can market my business. I can connect with family, connect with friends, connect with customers, connect with potential customers that can help me build my business. That phone is worth way more than $800. But the beauty is, is When I bought it, I was pursuing my own interest. And so was Samsung. Same thing with Steve Jobs and the iPhone. So, you know, this is like what Adam, we talk about Adam Smith in 1776. This is what he brought forward in the wealth of nations was this idea that when a breaker bakes bread, he's not doing that to help the customer have bread to eat. Well, it may be to a degree he is, but the main reason the baker bakes the bread is so he can earn an income to feed his family. He's doing it for self-interested reasons. But what was interesting is that when Adam Smith wrote Wealth of Nations in 1776, he still didn't really embrace the morality of what capitalism is because he still thought that self-interest was immoral. He still believed acting in a way that enriches you not to be righteous. And again, this goes back to thousands of years of religious um, doctrine, religious morality. It's been taught in our heads that we must be selfless because being selfish is bad. So what he did is he said, even though the baker is acting in his self-interest, it still benefits society as a whole. And if we get all these little um, makers, producers, you know, bread makers and blacksmiths and everyone else back in the day, each pursuing their own self-interest, then the invisible hand, which is this magical idea he brought forward, helps um, rationalize that this vice of self-interest is actually overall good for the economy. And it still seems like he was struggling with the notion of reconciling capitalism as moral. Or I would suggest that capitalism is win-win. When that baker makes the bread, the baker wins and the customer wins. When I bought my Samsung Note 8, I won and Samsung won. When I bought this Rode microphone for my podcast, Rode won and I won. Trade is win-win. Capitalism is win-win. And so it's always amazing when we people will still perceive capitalism as self-interest as somehow immoral. That's why people were outraged by this $1 COVID upcharge for the burrito at Armando's taco shop in Poway. Um, so what does it mean when people say self-interest, what do they mean? Well, immediately people say he's selfish and, and as though being selfish is bad, but there's different definitions of what selfish really means. What does it mean to you? Now, most people would think, like when you're, let's say you were a little kid and you see someone over there and they say, ah, he's, he's selfish or she is selfish. What do you think they mean? Do they think he is only concerned with his own well-being? Yeah, maybe. But they probably think that that person is a cheater is a liar, can't be trusted, will go to any extent to screw someone else over so they can win. That's what people perceive selfishness to be. But really, if you go about screwing people over and cheating and lying, is that really in your self-interest? It might be in the short term. It might be at that immediate point when When a thief steals something, they think they're acting in their own best interest, but long-term, they're screwed. Long-term, not only could they potentially be thrown in jail for it, but long-term, their morality gets screwed up, and then suddenly people no longer want to deal with them because they're unethical, immoral. What we have to understand is is that acting in self-interest is not a bad thing if They are doing it with a rational sort of long-term focus. If you're looking out for your own self-interest, you want to live a great life. You want to to be all that you can be, you know, using the great U.S. Army um, slogan. If you live a, a, I'm going to call it a good selfish life, a good life of self-interest, you're going to be pursuing your own values and in turn helping other people pursue theirs by providing products and services that benefit other people by creating win-win outcomes. But it's that liar cheater is the one that wants to create the win-lose outcome. And a win-lose outcome is obviously self-destructive and damaging to that person. So I think people will blend those two and think, Win-win and win-lose, they kind of blend them together because someone's winning, because the producer is winning. And I think we got to get over that. So, you know, because we're taught to be selfless, to think of others first. Selfless meaning I lose and the other guy wins or I win, but the other guy wins more because if I win too much, then suddenly it's not considered moral. And I think we have to get beyond that because capitalism According to the way that I've defined it, free trade, private ownership, rule of law, property rights, of course that's moral. That's based on voluntary cooperation. It's about creating win-win outcomes. And we've seen over the course of time in history, economically, the results are proven. Capitalism raises the standard of living of the ordinary man and woman as well as the rich and as well as the poor, all of course to varying degrees and to how you execute you know, your life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness, what your strategy is and the things that you choose to pursue. But it's only by freeing up the economy, freeing up ourselves as players in the economy, do we have the opportunity to enjoy The fruits of our labor. But it's in those more repressive economies like feudalism that we saw in Medici, like in the socialism of of Mao, the socialism of Venezuela, where we see despair and poverty and really a decline in the quality of life of the average individual. So, is capitalism moral? Is it virtuous? Is it good? I would argue it is if it's practiced in the pursuit of win-win outcomes. So let's go back to the burrito. So when Armando's taco shop here on Poway Road, when they increased the price of the burrito, were they lying or cheating or stealing? No, they they had a sign that said due to the COVID um, outbreak. We've increased the price of $1 on each burrito because there's a shortage of beef. And of course, we know when there's a, a shortage of supply and high demand, prices go up. And it's only temporary. The guy that was shrieking about it on Facebook somehow didn't see the sign. But there was a sign. And in fact, in that Facebook thread, the owners of Armando's chimed in and explained their situation. And they were clearly not lying. They were clearly not cheating. And they were clearly not stealing. So were they being selfish or um, according to like a win-lose type of selfish, like the classic, um, you know, definition of selfish, which is a kind of, in my opinion, a distorted version of it? No, not at all. Was Armando's taco shop immorally taking advantage of customers during the pandemic? I mean, that's part of the reason people were shrieking. How could you raise your prices during this covid epidemic. Well, what they were doing wasn't immoral. They were just increasing their price because their cost of goods sold went up and they do it temporarily. That's why they put a separate line item on the receipt to really showcase that it's temporary just because of the COVID um, situation. So were they immorally taking advantage of customers? No, because there was a sign And if the customer didn't want to participate, they can go down the street to another taco shop and buy a burrito. Or they can go to another restaurant and buy a cheeseburger or, or buy sushi, or maybe they can just go home and make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. They have choices. So Armando's wasn't taking advantage of anyone. I mean, this guy saw the receipt after he drove away and said, Oh my God, he just missed the sign. He was notified. He just didn't pay attention. Um, so Armando's really simply raising the price temporarily to cover their increased cost. Um, and anyways, who was harmed? Who was really harmed by that dollar increase in the burrito? The, the person that bought the burrito, assuming they buy it voluntarily, no one has a gun to their head. They got good food. They got to take advantage of quality carne asada meat that they otherwise can't get from other places because there's a beef shortage. I think I've even heard stories that Wendy's isn't even able to produce some of their burgers because of the beef shortage. So the, the person buying the burrito, yeah, they benefited. They weren't hurt. They had to pay a little more, but there's an explanation for it. At the same time, were any, was anybody else hurt? No, in fact, you could argue that people benefited from it. The workers at Armando's benefited because now people are still buying carne asada burritos. Imagine if they decided we're not going to sell any carne asada burritos because we can't make money at that um at the price that we normally sell it because the price of beef has gone up so much. So we're just not going to sell burritos. If you want a burrito well bean and cheese, maybe some rice, maybe some sour cream, maybe a few vegetables, but no beef, no chicken, sorry. If they did that, would 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 someone be harmed? Yeah, the people that want protein would be harmed. The people that want beef and chicken would be harmed. So when Armando's raised the price, no one was harmed and and they were full disclosure. They had the sign. They had it listed on their receipt. So people are wagging their finger at them. Oh, this is outrageous. This is a scam. They're taking advantage of people. Now relax, people, relax. In a free market, prices will fluctuate. When there's a shortage, prices will go up. Now imagine, if you will, that someone said they're price gouging on the carne asada and the government's going to come in and we're going to cap the price of carne asada burritos at no more than $6.95. Well, what would happen? Most likely, people would sell they would they sell out of all their carne asada beef and other people would no longer be able to have access or families would hoard it. Um, blocking other people out of the marketplace, but allowing the price to fluctuate when there is a shortage, prices go up, then that allows people to still have access to what they want at a higher price. And then when the the situation calms down, the price lowers and it all works fluidly. And that's the beautiful part of capitalism, in my opinion. So I I just think um, I give great credit to Armando's. Excuse me. And, and granted, that's a, if you've ever been there, it's like this red and yellow shack with a drive through in the middle of it. It's just kind of a funky thing. And it's right across the street from the Poway Library. And I've been there numerous times. And, you know, it's not my number one go to taco shop. Um, I, I have a few others that I prefer. But when I've gone there, it's been, it's been good. But I, I'll still give these guys credit because they explain their situation in a sign. They explained their situation in the receipt and they explained their situation in the community on the Facebook page and they were being completely transparent and what they were doing was logical and it still allowed them to serve their customers. It still allowed them to pay their employees. It still allowed the owner to earn a profit. So it created a win, win, win across the board. And I think that's something that should be applauded. So is capitalism moral? People struggle. They think self-interest and self selfishness is immoral. But really, capitalism works on self-interest, each of us pursuing our own self-interest. The outcome, when done right, is a win-win outcome. And in my opinion, that is absolutely moral. And so, I, again, I applaud Armando's Taco Shop, and I encourage you to go out there and check them out. Okay, so talking about Armando's Taco Shop. Let's talk about PowayStore.com. That's one of our sponsors. Poway Store, you know, embracing here the city of Poway, the city in the country. Um, Poway uh, Store has all kinds of items. They have the uh, the masks that you can wear over your face um, for co- you know to, in this COVID crisis. Um, these are, they're actually called net gators, but but Poway Store has some that are um, have a photograph of Iron Mountain or of Lake Poway. Um, Poway Store also running a promotion right now for framed artwork of really nice places in Poway, Old Poway Park, Lake Poway, Iron Mountain, framed artwork in various sizes, 20% off this framed artwork. Great um, idea for, well, we just had Mother's Day, great idea for a Father's Day gift. And they're going to be running this 20% off um, special through the end of May on all framed posters, framed artwork, celebrating the city in the country. Some really great shots at Old Poway Park of the railroad um, cars, the, the train tracks, the, the depot. Um, some really neat shots around Old Poway Park. Great photos up in Lake Poway of the trails of the lake, of the park, of the Tony Gwynn statue. We talked about Tony Gwynn to kick off this podcast of the Tony Gwynn statue. And then even a really nice photos of Iron Mountain, um, all celebrating the Poway, the city and the country. Um, And uh, I just want to give you another quick um, shout here that if you want to join the um, John Riley Project mailing list, go visit us at com slash subscribe. And um, we'll share that with you. And I have actually had a few more things I wanted to get into. I wanted to talk about some of the other things I've been watching on streaming television, um, talk a little bit more about the stimulus and the bailout and some of the nuances of that. But I'm going to save that for the next podcast because we're at about almost 50 minutes, and I'm really trying now to stay under an hour. I, I used to blah, 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 and these solo podcasts go an hour and a half, and that's just too long. I'll save my really long podcast when I have a guest, and the guests can speak freely. And, and just, again, I'll, I'll, I'll another big uh, announcement, I'm really looking forward to having more political um, candidates on the podcast. In 2018, we kicked off this project with candidates for Poway Mayor, Poway City Council, Poway Unified School District. Um, we even had candidates for, um, United States Congress, uh, that were on the podcast. So I'm looking forward to having more political candidates so they can come on the podcast and share their campaign platform and explain their experience and their background and their history and do it in an environment where there's no time limit because candidates usually, they might get one or two sentences in the local paper where they're quoted. They might, if they're lucky, get a minute. At a debate or a forum to answer a question in our podcast. We let the candidates really share it all. And we have an interesting, respectful, civil conversation about the issues. And I I love that. I mean, to me, that's what makes this podcast fun. This community forum aspect of what we do to bring important people, interesting people in here to continue the conversation. So if you know anyone that is running for office in this new 2020 cycle they are all welcome. Any political candidate in San Diego County is welcome to join us on the John Riley Project, um, and we would love to have you. And it doesn't matter if you're running for you know, Todd Gloria, running for uh, mayor of the city of San Diego, or, or Barbara Bree for the mayor of San Diego, or if you're running for a water district in one of the corners of the county, we'd still love to have you to share your views and provide a platform where your viewers and, con- and con- voters and constituents can learn more about you. Um, okay, and um, let me just give you a closing quote, and it's from Adam Smith from Wealth of Nations. This is sort of the classic quote uh, from his, his book, you know, the one that we all remember, and it is, "'It is not from the benevolence of the butcher, the brewer, or the baker that we expect our dinner, but from the regard to their own interest.'" So again, the butcher, the brewer, and the baker, and some, I want to say the candlestick maker, they are all pursuing their own self-interest. And that's what makes it great because in their pursuit of their own self-interest, they end up providing products and services that improve the lives of other people and allow them to have a better quality of life, a higher standard of life. And when we all do it together voluntarily cooperating with each other, we raise up society and the standard of living for everyone else. And that's a beautiful thing. And it is absolutely moral. And I challenge anyone to say that it's not. So thanks for joining us. Yeah, this is actually actually episode number 132 of the John Riley Project. And uh, please join us on social media. You can actually go to our website, com slash connect. And there you'll find all of our social media platforms. So we encourage discussion, conversation, and let's continue the dialogue on social media. Thanks, friends. We'll see you later. Bye-bye.